0: Wow, a show all about shamanism. I am so excited. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz, and we welcome you back. It's been a while since my last broadcast, but I'm coming back in style today, so thank you for your patience. You can watch us on youtube.com slash Cheryl Sitz or you can listen in audio. All 300 of my podcasts are on the website journeyofpossibilities.com and other popular platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts pick us up as well. So wherever you'd like, we're glad that you joined us today. Mario, you're always updating the astrofractal formula in the coolest ways. Can you tell us about what we can gain from that and how we can use it?
1: The astrofractal is your birth date and name in a fractal format based on a formula that I created. And that creates the fractal, what I consider to be the soul footprint of your, of your soul based on all that information. You can use it for meditation and kind of look at it and just ponder some of your things you're going through. Or sometimes if you just need to go deeper, look at some sections of the fractal, the astrofractal that I create for you. And just what is that point in life? Because it, the astrofractal is a representation of your entire life. And when you look at them, if you go to astrofractal.com and look at them, you can see there's like little ups and downs on the edges and that kind of stuff. And I can even do readings for you there, but you definitely can read it yourself. It's just a matter of just looking at it, concentrating, meditating, or even, you know, just print it out and make it into a big format. Or you can also buy the frame one that I have there and use it somewhere where you can just be in silence even put a black light on it. Who knows? It might look really cool under a black light. And there's so many possibilities about it. And it's you. So it's like looking in the mirror.
0: And seeing the beauty of even the most complex and sometimes difficult parts of our lives. It's all there.
1: That's the beauty of it. It has so much depth in it that I can almost see every part of our being, you could say. I can see, I might not know the specifics, but I can see in the fractals where. There is something going on in this time or something going on around this time. Uh, And it's really fun for me to see these astrofractals because everybody is different. There's not one that's alike. And then out of that, you also get a little certificate with your own unique number that you get out of it. And that number, nobody has that.
0: Astrofractals.com I have such a special guest. I i am truly humbled and a bit nervous, to be honest. But <laughs> let me introduce you to Don Oscar Miro Quesada Solevo. He needs no introduction, but we'll go ahead. He's a respected Kamasca curandero and Alto Misa adept from Peru, founder of the Heart of the Healer or Thoth Shamanic Mystery School, and originator of the Pachacuti Mesa tradition, cross cultural shamanism. An internationally acclaimed shamanic teacher, author, healer, and earth-honoring ceremonialist. He's also a fellow, ethno-psychology, a fellow in ethno-psychology with the Organization of American States and a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle. Don Oscar serves as an NGO observer to the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues and is founding counselor of its Inter-Spiritual Dialogue Committee. He has been guiding ethno-spiritual pilgrimages to sacred sites of the world, and especially my beloved Peru, since 1986. His website is heartofthehealer.org, and he joins us today to discuss his latest book, Shamanism. It is truly an honor to welcome you, Don Oscar.
2: It's mutual, my beloved sister, Cheryl. It's uh, always an opportunity to merge with the shamanic soul of those passers-by that have been touched by the ineffable, and therefore that was a very nice introduction your pronunciation of the spanish terms was impeccable which is a rare occasion so thank you for that (laughs) Uh, ultimately with all those credentials that you mentioned i'm simply a friendly holographic projection of the need for a shamanic teacher by the name of don oscar in the world other than that i'm just a an ephemeral imaginary flow of consciousness within the cosmic dreaming we know in our lives. So that said, I'm ready to go ahead and invite all of our listening guests into the heart of what the shamanic path is according to Maikamaska, Northern Coastal and Pakokuna, Southeastern Highland Andean lineages.
0: Wow. And And with that, we're off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm continually amazed and delighted at how humble and easy and conversational some of our greatest teachers are today. The people that truly live it, not the ones that want to pontificate about it, but the ones that want to lead us by living it are the most approachable, wonderful souls I could ever meet. And that is just really gratifying. <laughs> Thank well, you.
2: It, I attribute that to having done our inner plane work taking our own inventory, working the shadow parts of ourselves and ultimately being willing to die, being willing to let go of any preconceived notion of of importance or the craving for approval or control that is so characteristic of our modern age. The ego is uh, a, a terrible adversary it can be an ally yet for the most part it is an adversary of our true spiritual self capital s so humility is a good thing because it also ties in with humor and <laughs> with <sanity.
0: laughs> yes and those two need to go hand in hand don't they <laughs> oh. Well, I, I figure since you've literally now written the book on shamanism as well as living it, you're the perfect person for me to ask once and for all on this show. We use the word shaman a lot these days. I meet practitioners that declare themselves shaman. And, and yet those most profound medicine men and women that I just spoke about who are humble and who walk the talk rarely call themselves shaman. So I noticed your own bio, you are a curandero in your bio, is there a difference between a curandero and a shaman, and what is a shaman?
2: From the perspective of Peruvian curanderismo, which means folk healing, we do not uh, associate ourselves with the shamanic uh, uh, appellation for this simple reason. The only shamans that we recognized as true uh, in their healing uh, vocation are those from the Tungusic Siberian era, area of, of Mongolia, in, in, the, in what is now Russia. The original term samang is, means he or she who is a master of fire and he or she who communes with spirits. And not all shamanic practice involves that relationship with a spirit uh, alliance. It involves many times basic uh, herbal remediation of, of illnesses, and it involves sometimes midwifing, and it involves bone setting, and it involves a myriad of different healing modalities that have nothing to do with connecting with that spiritual influence. So, in a sense, um, in my humble opinion, my good sister, shamanism basically evolved or originated with the first human impulse to care for something as much or more than one cares for oneself. In other words, being present as a sustenance, as a... As a field of opportunity for another to experience safety in the midst of turmoil to be to 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 receive nurturance and to receive support when things are falling apart around them. If you can just show up for a person who is going through that time of transformation with love with compassion in your heart you're practicing the shamanic way. You are, in a sense, a practitioner of the shamanic arts. That's as best as I can put it. Aside from the fact, of course, Cheryl, that it is a uh, consciousness-expanding, soul-vivifying, nature-venerating, spirit-befriending, sacred community-bolstering vocation that has existed since the Upper Paleolithic era on this planet. So, we owe an extraordinary debt of gratitude to our predecessors who have walked this path, yet, in a sense, it's about teaching love by the way we live. That's how I understand shamanism.
0: Yes, I agree. That's beautiful. And I knew you would speak it most eloquently and from the heart. So thank you for that. You wrote this amazing book. You wrote the, be- there's three parts to your new book, Shamanism, the beginning where you kind of demystify some things. It's called understanding shamanism and then. As is with all shamanic traditions, the rich art of storytelling fills the body of it with many storytellers, a couple of whom we've actually had on the show before, and I'll mention that later. But And then you come back and you kind of wrap it up with how to deepen your shamanic connection. So it's a really rich book. I wanted to start by asking you, since intention is an important part of the shamanic walk, What was your intention on your heart in putting this publication together and putting it out into the world?
2: Well, it was a journey. It was uh, uh, quite a a sojourn into um, needing to come to a place of peaceful balance and equilibrium within my own service path, because the founder of Sacred Stories, through which the Common Sentience book series is part of, contacted me to see if i wanted to write this book on shamanism and there's been so much written on shamanism before i was a little taken back what 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 can i contribute that has not already been said and so therefore i went into my medicine lodge and communed with my ancestor guides and. After a few days, realized that, yes, I did have something to say, as a matter of fact, and I needed to go ahead and present shamanism as a universal phenomenon, as something that is available to all all two-legged, all souls that are willing to uh, let go of their need for recognition as individuals, but are part of a larger community that involves all of our relations, seen and unseen, plant, mineral, animal, human, and transpersonal. So it was an opportunity to share my own vision as to what our shamanic community of equals is about at the cosmic level. So as you know in the book I speak very much about the great work that lineage of hermetic and Gnostic adepts from time immemorial that really originated with the shamanic path and how that is impacting today's evolution of consciousness on planet. And so there, that gave me an opportunity to also present it from the point of view of, human experience and therefore the 25 riveting and compelling stories that you see in the second part of the book which to me is the foundation of all shamanic teaching that it has to be a storytelling it has to be a narrative that is living that is pulsing that is sentient and therefore these individuals that contributed their stories to the book Uh, really have enhanced its availability and accessibility to many people that otherwise would not understand what the shamanic way is. And um, so it was a great honor to be able to write this book, uh, regardless of some of my initial misgivings.
0: I think it's a wonderful contribution. And I I loved that it was both Historical and brain food, if you will, at the front end and and at the end to kind of wrap it all up and and teach us about shamanism. But then the rich storytelling in the middle. And I did pick up that you had a couple of stories in there as well, and that was interesting. I loved your share about invisibility, by the way. That was really powerful. I was reading along, thinking, I wonder who wrote this one, and I never let myself look at who wrote it till I got to the end, and aha, it was you. What? How did you even begin to choose what was in and what was? out of this book with such a wealth of of stories to tell, of information to share. I wouldn't have wanted to be an editor for this book. I would have just kept making it bigger and bigger because there's so much to share. How did you take that task on? Well,
2: fortunately, I was not given the responsibility of selecting the stories. That was the editor. That (laughs) was the, the people behind Sacred Stories. Uh, because we had over seventy submissions for this particular book and and uh, and many of them and that submitted their stories knew uh, up front that i wasn 't the one that was going to make the decision making at the end, uh, so therefore um, that relieved me of a great deal of responsibility because many of the people are have been students of mine, and you know it 's a little tricky as to not wanting to have favorites. <laughs> yes.
0: How did you choose your own story? The, 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 and, and for the listener that hasn't read the book yet, you shared an early life story. And then at the end of the stories, you shared your personal story about invisibility. How did you select those two?
2: Well, that was very simple because both of those stories are in my uh, book, Lessons in Courage, Peruvian Shamanic Wisdom for the modern world that was published in 2011 and it contains various stories and tales of of my own shamanic apprenticeship with my both of my mentors don celso and don benito so the two that i selected were the most i would say um uh, appropriate to help people cross the veil between the material and spiritual realms and that was my purpose of selecting those, because they both speak about being able to uh, walk as between both worlds, the seen and the unseen. And in the first, of course, it it talks about my experience as a child encountering these luminous beings. And these stories may seem incredulous to most people, to most uh, uh, rationality-based factual types. yet. I'm telling it as it is, these have been my experiences, and whether a person can see them as uh, legit or not, is up to their own ability to dream and imagine beyond their curtailed uh, five sensorial uh, conditioning. And therefore, I took the risk of putting them in there. Now, as a risk, it became an extraordinary rite of passage. An initiation, not only for myself, but hopefully for those who read these stories that can take them into another more expanded level of consciousness and awareness. That there exists much more to life than our very reduced understanding of what it means to be human in a body now, these are a lot of words to say simply that these stories. invite you. To dream something that is you, that heretofore was dormant and still is available to awaken fully as a healing gift to the world.
0: I was very inspired by them. Very inspired by them. All of the stories were just fabulous. And and they really just stretch and bend what we call reality in so many new ways. And mine has been a shamanic path for the last 10 years. And I'm still amazed and, and still expanding and growing. And I don't think it's ever going to stop. I think that's the joy of it for me.
2: It's a Yes, it's a path or, or a, a life way without finality much like the process of individuation that you've spoken about in Jungian studies. We are always on this transformative journey of refinement as, as souls. And there's no one that I know of that can tell us what the end result is, except merging with source, right?
0: Right. So this is a perfect place for me to bring in one of the quotes from the book. You wrote, There is no environment, save in our imaginations, we are the earth what surrounds us is us it shapes us as we shape it we must dedicate our dreams thoughts words and actions to the well-being of our species-wide earth community as a whole and to the work of restoring wonder and a sense of reverence to our world it was so beautifully stated and as i reflected on that quote this morning I remembered in my own life, I have moved from a very busy city, Houston, Texas. I'm in Texas, moved into the country. As I've gone into this shamanic path, I had to get out of the city for me. But there are many people who in this modern world, wake up, rush to get ready, hop into a car, drive to a place of business, work all day, hop in the car, drive home. Their feet may touch concrete, if anything outside. They don't Feel the the with their senses what's going on in the world, a natural environment, and it makes me wonder if nature is our inspiration to get back to that. How do we start to reconnect in these cities where we are lucky if we see a park in a week, or you know, go somewhere on the weekend? How can people start to allow this in and start to feel the benefits and change of the more shamanic style of living?
2: Well there is a thing called urban shamanism as a matter of fact (laughs) and uh as it's it's simple to reconnect with mother nature even if you are in a jail cell in some penitentiary if you have the willingness to dream and imagine yourself beyond that confine beyond that place and have a little journal and something to write with and start to record what your imagined connection with mother nature is outside of that either urban or penal situation now. um, Doing offerings is a great way of connecting with the living pulsing heartbeat of our earth mother some cornmeal some pollen some tobacco some anything that is a gift from the mother that grows from her body that you can have either in dried or or fresh form in your environment whether it's an urban place or somewhere out in nature becomes a living repository of all of the consciousness of the earth if you relate to it as an ally, if you relate to it as a living sentient being. Therefore, these offerings become a bridge between your own natural self, your own embodied Gaian and Pachamama consciousness, and the outside natural world. That bridge allows a simple offering of tobacco or cornmeal in a small area inside of a room that is in, in a high-rise building in the middle of a, metropo, uh, a metropolitan center to bring you back into communion with the living earth. If your imagination, if you're dreaming, is willing to expand and realize that you are more than just the environment in which you live, that you are fashioning your environment through your choices in conscious living. That's how I understand it. Now, of course, there's no better medicine in the world than going out and actually walking upon our Earth Mother barefoot, lying on her pulsing body, and breathing in her kaosai, her vital life force. There's no way that is better to connect with the shamanic soul that permeates human consciousness since time immemorial going out on pilgrimages, spending time just listening to the sounds of the natural world, internalizing those sounds and allowing them to come out in an offering song to the earth, to the stones, to the stars, to our animal relatives, to whatever is part of the great sacred web of life, becomes a dance, becomes a, a celebration of one's oneness, with our living earth and so use your imagination as freely as possible imago that's that's how i would approach it if you are limited in terms of your exposure to the actual living natural world
0: Yes. And that might be a great way to build back up to going and actually reconnecting more because it, it does, we become our habits, right? So when we're in this habit of being in an artificial environment all the time, that becomes our way of life until we consciously shift it. Imagine. I love that.
2: As you can see, I have an altar ground here.
0: Oh, how beautiful.
2: That's that's the, called the altar mayor or Banco Maestro, but there's an air conditioning in, unit in the wall. <laughs> yet that's because it's in Florida, and you can see we ha- I live in a beautiful and natural environment in the back there, yet for practical purposes, I'm indoors. So I have both an outdoor medicine ground and an indoor medicine ground that are adjacent to each other and even have an air conditioning unit <laughs> but it seems a little out of
0: place, yet it's what it is. Yes, that's beautiful. Thank you for showing that to us. So in the book, in the front, you talk about so many things, it's, it's hard to touch on all of it. But one of the things that I really enjoyed reading about was the lower world, middle world and upper world that is a part of shamanism and maybe you can connect for us tell us a little bit about what that is and then how that has its strongest relevance for us today in this world
2: wow you have some great questions well thank you (laughs) um the three worlds in shamanic uh, tradition are ubiquitous throughout the world every shamanic Culture or um, society, understand that we live in three different realms of consciousness. The transpersonal, more elevated spiritual realm, known as the upper, quotes unquotes. And in, in the Peruvian shamanic traditions, we understand it as a, a superior or sublime, more elevated state of consciousness, because these worlds are understand, understood, at least in my tradition, as pachas, P-A-C-H-A. And a pacha means world, time, place, space, uh, realm, ultimately bardo, a, a, a state of consciousness, not a physical three-dimensional place, but a, a, a habitat that one can inhabit, but at the same time also modify mold fashion change and make adaptive to one's needs so every world has is composed of various denizens various um, beings that are populate that realm the upper world more angelic more elevated more refined spirit type beings the kaipacha, or the middle world, this state of waking consciousness, the family and friends that surround you, as well as all of the, the allies in the natural world and the three dimensional realm that we live in, and the inner world or the, what's called the lower world, the internal or the, what I would call more imaginal, uh, thonic soul world because it's not lower in terms of something less than, it is deeper and more interior. So think of the three worlds, or we can think of the three worlds as the intrapersonal, the interpersonal, and the transpersonal levels of human consciousness. And in that sense, we have access to all of them. Now, shamanically, speaking, those worlds exist for us to journey to, and to uh, uh, obtain guidance, obtain direction, and obtain inspiration for our healing work, for our service work in the world. Therefore, it's very important to cultivate the ability to journey to each of these separate or distinct, although they're interrelated, they are, they have their own unique qualities and medicines and uh, and teachings that one can access. So it's important to cultivate the ability to journey to these realms and to expand your consciousness and your understanding and relationship with them. Um, Personally, I feel that uh, they are seamless in their relationship that if you visit one you always are going to have access to all the others that they don't have to be separate levels but they are a a flow a flux I, i hope i make myself clear so in a sense think of it this way my love you have a a dream in your sleeping state you have a reverie in your daily thinking, you're, you're, you're fantasizing, you're imagining, and then you have this waking conscious cognitive realm. There are elements in all three, your sleeping dream, your reverie, and your waking dream, that are the same, and those that means that you're living your medicine. The same is true with the three worlds. When you learn to access all three of them, you realize that they're not separate, that they, are, that they, they comprise who you are as a child of the great dream, the cosmos, uh, the great mother's dreaming of ourselves into being. In that sense, the three worlds are simply yourself, awake to your own infinite and eternal nature
0: wow how eloquently you describe all of this i just love it and such a privilege to be able to sit with you today and hear your descriptions of these and i know for me when i started the healing i realized that my americanized way was to avoid pain and so if it hurt i had always masked it in some way or another and so the first few years were pretty painful and it kind of brought me some reassurance to read in the book that that's shamanic initiation that's any kind of transformative state you talk about the stages that you go through and and it is it's this ego death and there's unpleasantness and there's these things and then on the other side of that is where i felt more of what you were talking about the seamlessness between the worlds there were worlds i was blocking and so that wasn't seamless. It was very distinct. And so that's starting to blend for me. And I think we call it integration in some sense. But it is exciting when they start to blend together and and have access to all three at similar times.
2: <laughs> it's, it's a it's a wonderful gift. Uh, to realize that you're whole and that you've been whole all along. Yes,
0: <laughs> <for not> <laughs> Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's, I, I kind of wanted to mention that because if somebody's listening to this, that's in that place and thinking, why do I want to do this work? Or what have I started now? I can't go back and I'm in the dark night of the soul, as we call it. It, it is so much brighter just beyond this. So hang in there, stick with it. It's so worth it.
2: As there's a Sufi saying that goes like this, uh, I I paraphrase, on their their way to heaven, the saints are eaten alive. (laughs) So what that means is that to contact, connect and, and merge with a more expansive sense of what it means to be a spiritual being in a human body, isn't an easy thing. We need to go through some uh, trials and tribulations and some pitfalls and perils on the path every shamanic initiation involves uh hardship and 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 personal sacrifice of sorts for it to be a a, a true death and rebirth right and so <clears throat> that is why i emphasize in, in the book those moments of of breakdown that lead to a breakthrough to use that cliche and yes fundamental to the shamanic journey. Like you said, your your own doubt, insecurity, your own resistance, shame and guilt, everything that kept you from knowing that you are enough exactly the way you are uh, is like grist for the mill. It's important. Yes. Adversity is the crucible upon which the spirit is forged.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> We'd like it to be otherwise, but it is. <laughs> well, I was really excited to see that your involvement at the UN and I was asked to bring that up to you and to ask you at a global level, you know, some of us, what we believe we're seeing at the global level is is less than the success that we'd hope to be seeing uh, as far as connection to the world and to the elements and to the the connectedness of all that is what do you see happening at the global level through through the roles that you are involved in that can uh, that that is other than what do you see that brings you hope and excitement and promise
2: well many things and to begin with Um, I've participated as an invited observer to the UN uh, in the past currently because of my other activities with the evolutionary leaders and other organizations. I'm I'm not that enmeshed in there, but I do have colleagues that are uh, part of the interspiritual caucus there, and so I'm part of these uh, what we call synergy circles, these Mm -hmm. teams people that come together that are doing the work, the great work, and so I can say that um, in the middle of how discouraging uh, it seems to be alive in this time and age on planet because of the, the the forgetfulness of our own divinity, the estrangement from the sacred dimensions of life, is behind all of our dissonance and 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 suffering and pain right now as a humankind. That there are groups and individuals working very hard behind the scenes to establish a a field of influence that first of all, becomes our planetary neosphere. It's like this global field of consciousness that at the right time trickles down into the, into the lives of, of the many, and uh, over time becomes a wake-up call. It becomes like a little alarm clock that has been seated in our hearts. And so I see this alarm clock going off in many ways and by many people across the globe. So I'm quite optimistic that the rite of passage that we are experiencing, the birthing we're experiencing upon beloved Gaia Patamama right now, needs to intensify a bit more, believe it or not, before it leads to the actual delivery of this new child, this new earth that is prophesied by our ancient ones to be upon us. And this is different than the other moments of of great transformation on a global level that we've experienced because of the power that human consciousness has in in directing this new rebirth on planet. Yet. Everything from reforestation of the Amazon to soup kitchens in urban centers, to being volunteers at women's shelters that have been abused, to the multiple ways of volunteer work that are available for humankind to participate. And more and more people are showing up and pitching in and putting their own ...narcissistic, self-absorbed priorities aside, at least for the time being, and uh, saying, listen, I have this, I want to share this, when I share this and pass it forward, the seven generations is going to receive a gift. And therefore, may my thoughts, my words, my actions always have the seven generation impact. Uh, in my heart when I do do them. So that's how I see it happening. I'm very confident that in due time, even though there's my ancestors, my teachers said humankind is 200 years behind schedule according (laughs) to the agenda of the intergalactic confederation.
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yet, uh, you know, that said, if we're behind schedule, it means that we still have a schedule and that's more important than not if you get my drift because we could be totally
0: out of time yes Hmm. oh that's exactly what my heart needed to hear today (laughs) sometimes i get sucked into the illusions too (laughs) you uh you wrote something really great at the well There's something really great at the end of your bio in the book, and I'm going to share it because it's along the lines of what you're saying. When we surrender the need to figure it all out and cultivate the ability to let it all in, our earth walk becomes a sacred dance of healing service on the planet. More than the world needs saving, it needs loving. That brings it right down to something we can all do.
2: Certainly. Munai. Compassive, deep. Feeling and love, is our true nature, bhakti, agape. These are uh, experiences of being that, in which we remain fully open to what life brings us, without resisting, rejecting, or filtering out anything to be able to cultivate that ability to let it all in as i mentioned earlier requires a death a death of the self it requires a letting go of one's um, need for recognition for approval and control in outside world and it this sometimes can take place spontaneously through a near-death experience or through some sort of traumatic event or through many uh, expanded states of consciousness either uh, consciously uh, initiated through the use of sacramental plant relatives or through deep meditative practice but there's many ways of awakening or expanding our consciousness to reach that place of pure loving presence, because in the way of our of my ancestors in Heart Island, it's called Heart Island. The greatest power we have is the power to love unconditionally, oneself, others, our planet, and the cosmos as you know, as, as a whole. That that vibration of true, unadulterated loving being uh, neutralizes everything that is of a lower astral nature of a more dense and sluggish vibrational frequency and therefore every act that we do as shamanic practitioners at least in the pachakuti mesa tradition of cross-cultural shamanism begins first with opening up our hearts to being pure, unadulterated love. Munai. And from that place, then whatever rituals or ceremonies or guidance or directive you may offer will always be in alignment with a higher purpose and with a a, a more elevated um, intention that is beyond one's own individual self and when you serve and work for something much larger than yourself it works through you in a manner that becomes miraculous and truly transformative that's how i understand that little quote that you wrote that you just read
0: that you said (laughs) we're reflecting it back and forth in a beautiful way thank you so much it has been such a joy to visit with you today i loved your book it's definitely a keeper for me and i encourage you if you're listening please check out this book you will enjoy it shamanism and it's by sacred stories publishing who is responsible for bringing us together today so i thank them as well don oscar is is there anything additional that you would like to close with today
2: yes uh... I'd like to say that there's a, uh, there's a Hasidic quote that goes something like this. If the world is ending and the Messiah is about to come, first go plant a tree and then see if the story is true. <laughs> Do you get it? If the world is ending and the Messiah is coming, first go plant a tree and then see if the story is true yeah bring life into the world continue to beautify and sanctify the planet that is our home and let all of the stories and worries and predictions and prophecies that may uh be worrisome uh, to you know just be secondary to your own ability to plant a tree, to keep it green, and to teach love by the way you live.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And thank you for being with us today. And thank you, listeners and viewers, for joining us wherever you are. We hope you've enjoyed it and we welcome your feedback at journeyofpossibilities.com. And we hope you'll join us next time on Exploring Possibilities.